So, Father, I thank you that your presence is saturating this atmosphere. God, I thank you that it's not through words that are persuasive or wise, but it's by the Spirit of the living God. I thank you that your kingdom is here, and I thank you it's being established in each and every one of our hearts, in our psyche, our soul, our emotions, our wills, our mind's eye, and our psyche's eye, God. And I just pray that each of us know you at a level that we never have before, God, that you said you're taking us from glory to glory. I pray we never are stagnant, but that we continue to grow more in love with you, and every layer is peeled back from our soul so that we see you with unveiled eyes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So as a psychologist, there's kind of a basic rule that I can't do what hasn't been done for me first. So I have my little slides up here that I have to believe that I am his first love before I could ever have him as my first love. I have to know at the core of me that I am loved and adored and delighted and cherished. My head can know that, but if my emotions don't, then I'm trying really hard to keep him as my first love, and I'm trying to prioritize my energy and my time to do that, but it's exhausting. And so the majority of my quiet time is trying to trust and believe that he really is crazy about me. So I like this picture because you can't fall in love with someone you don't know. So I picture that there's parts of our soul that where we get hurt, we get disappointed, we go through pain. It's almost like I take that wounded area and that part of me just kind of tucks away back here. And I don't really talk about that. I don't go there. One of the hardest parts for me as a therapist is to encourage people to talk about the stuff that they don't want to. Because the common response is, oh, I've already dealt with that. I already prayed about that. It's resolved. I don't even think about that. That's not And if any area that you're not taking to the Lord, it's kind of like you've created a little tent on Mount Everest, and it's a hard place to connect with the Lord in that place of pain, right? And so then I have this kind of wounded area part of me that I don't go there, bless the Lord, praise the Lord, and I don't actually bring Jesus into my tent. And so I can know him with 90% of me, and then there's these other parts of me that just kind of don't really know the Lord. Um, And so I'll say a little bit like I said last night, life is about projections. That again, you're not actually seeing me. You're seeing a projection of what your brain is creating of the images. And on your occipital lobe, it's like a little hologram is being created of what your brain is creating. So a good eyewitness account is every eyewitness should have some different details that they would pick up. So that's one of the reasons forensic psychologists verify scripture is because the gospel accounts are so different that it shows you each person's brain is constructing the event just a little bit different. It's all the same basic facts, but each person's brain is going to pick up something different. And so based on your past, you're going to project something a little bit different in your relationship with the Lord. So here's just kind of a brain image. So these are your retina, that's your eyes, and it goes the optic tract and the optic nerve. And so one goes through the thalamus and straight back. The other one crosses over at the corpus callosum. And then you have this hologram in your visual cortex. And that's where you create meaning of what you think you're seeing. So you have the mind and then you have the heart, right? So we have two levels of processing. And it's really neat. There's lots of research about how even in the heart organ itself, there's a mind. And if you've ever thought about, I just have feelings here. I don't understand them. I don't know why I'm thinking this. If you've ever said the sentence, I don't know why I feel like this, but it just feels true to me, even though I know better, even though I know scripture, even though if you've said that sentence, then you know you have your heart is thinking something different than your head, which in psychology we call your unconscious. 
So you have an unconscious you and a conscious you. I know God's word says this, like my example last night about the end times. I, that's ridiculous and it's embarrassing, honestly, to admit that I was really worried about that. Because I know better. God's faithful. He's true. I can look at scripture. I know better. In my head, I know better. But I couldn't deny the fact that my emotions would still go, whoop, whoop. You know, I still had that reaction inside. So something unconscious was getting activated. And like I said last night, that when I thought about that, I didn't realize God wasn't in that part. It's almost like there's a today reality. And then unconsciously, it was segmented off that God's not there. He's not a part of that. And so when I changed my mind and I went, oh, I come out of agreement with that belief that, God, you're going to abandon me when I need you most. Because that was based on my past, right? Childhood, uh, relationships, and people not being there, whatever. All that had created in the unconscious part of me, my little tent of this wounded area that I'm afraid somebody's going to leave me when I need them most. And then I projected that accidentally, without knowing, onto the Lord that he's not going to be there when I need him most. So every time your brain is taking in an image, it has to go through creating information. And that's what your thalamus does. That's that part of the brain that now creates the meaning. Like I said, if, you're, if a hand comes towards you and you have a past of people hitting you, you're going to flinch. But if a hand comes towards you and you're from a sweet background, then you're thinking that you're going to get chocolate or they're going to play with your hair. You know, it just depends on your background. You're creating meaning. And so the Lord... He is always love towards you. That's his character, and he cannot deny himself. He is love. And scripture says that, oh, it got louder. Um, 1 Corinthians, no, 1 John 4.10. I'll just say it from memory because it's easier than finding it on the page. Um, And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and that he sent his son as a atoning sacrifice to pay for our sins. Because we cannot do any of that. We are dead in the water if I'm going to try to love the Lord. But if I focus on how much he loves me, then I'm going to recognize, oh my gosh, I have a block here. Oh, Lord, all of a sudden I don't feel your presence in this moment. This situation, I feel like the enemy's bigger than you. Or I feel like my finances are more despairing than your capability. So if I recognize that, now I can take Jesus into that moment and go, where from my past is that creating an emotional block that even though I know better here, somewhere in my unconscious, in that little tent, I've got all this pain, I've got this emotion, I've got this past experience, and I need to invite you into this place. Um, so projection, the mind's eye of your brain, create what you think you're seeing. You're always processing at two levels. As women, we, we know that very well, that we're very emotional and we have all this stuff, and then we have this stuff. Um, and you relate with two projections. This is how we can say, I know they're not actually doing this, but it feels like it anyway, right? I know God's going to come through for me, but I just feel really scared and afraid and I'm worried he's not going to, right? That's two levels of processing. And so the Lord never condemns you for that. Most of the time we just try to, you know, squelch that instead of bringing it to him. And we, like King David, need to ask him to search our heart and know what's in it. Because King David had the humility to go, I don't even know what's in my heart. I love you and I proclaim all these wonderful things. But then the next minute I'm like, you've abandoned me. My enemies are overtaking me. Where are you? He's just like us. And the Lord delights in you. And sometimes circumstances of your life, while I don't think God creates it, I think he can allow that to draw up 
fear and insecurity and all this stuff in you. So if you've heard me speak, you know that my issue right now is the end times and guys. Um, and so I just feel like, you know, just here's my stuff, right? Um, and I'll embarrass myself because I feel like if there's anything that can help you, even if those aren't your particular issues, that it's like we all have it. We all have that disconnect where my head knows this, and yet my emotions are way over in left field. So right now, I have somebody who's pursuing me, who's very gentle and kind and created all of this for us, and yet in my mind's eye, in my heart, I keep thinking he's bad, and I look for everything that's wrong with him. So what that tells me is my head and my heart are not in the same place. I think that he's a good person, he loves Jesus, he's not the Antichrist, but emotionally... But emotionally, I don't know that. And I think, honestly, it's I have a root of, like, shame. And I think I'm looking for what's wrong with him because I think I've done that my whole life, of looking for what's wrong with me. And so from that place of shame, I look for what's wrong with me. And now if somebody gets too close, there's an old Woody Allen quote that he says, I don't want to be a part of any club that would let me be a member because what's wrong with them? Right? Um, So if this guy's pursuing me, I immediately go, what's wrong with him? You know, and my defenses, and I think he's bad, and and I think the worst about this person who doesn't necessarily deserve any of my mean behavior. Um, And I think we do that with the Lord all the time, that he's pursuing, he's kind, he creates fantastic, wonderful, dreamy things for us, and yet we're going, oh, but it wasn't good enough. Oh, that wasn't what I wanted, you know? Research shows that our brain, when you are under a stressful situation or a bug is flying at your face, um, when that happens, it does. It totally happens. When that happens, your brain kind of goes into, you know, a survival mode. And so your zone of what you're able to focus goes narrow. And you're just going to on the negative, on the narrow, whenever there's a negative emotion that kind of takes over the brain. Whenever you're in a positive place, your emotion allows you to take in all the different details and kind of like those beautiful moments where you're like, wow, there's a butterfly, there's flowers. I've never noticed this, even though I've probably walked this way a thousand times. So when there's a negative emotion, when you get scared, when you are going, oh my gosh, I don't think I can get through this, when you get frightened, you narrow your focus only on that one thing. And so that's how the enemy can get your focus off of the Lord and all the good and all the testimonies, all the good stuff, right? God is so faithful to me. It's ridiculous. And yet when I think about the end times, used to, I'm, I'm free now. Um, when I used to think about the end times, I used to think it's like this narrow focus of this bad situation in the doom and the gloom. And it was like there was no room for testimony or adventure or his faithfulness or multiplying food in pots and all of us being best friends and living in the woods camping together. Like there was no grid for any of the positive. It was only the doom and the gloom and the negative. And through that place, the enemy just fed, right? He just fed fear, and I got scared. And then in my head, I'm like, I know better. Like, I'm feeling really beat up that I'm just being this disrespectful to you, Lord, because you, you are faithful. Why am I being so disrespectful to not trust you at your promises? Until I started going, oh, I was believing a lie. And that part of me had to kind of come out of my little tent on Mount Everest and actually come into the bigger scope of, Lord, you've been faithful here and here and here and here. You're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You'll be faithful tomorrow. You're still good. I can trust you. 
And so the enemy has his milestones, right? Where the Lord said, keep Ebenezer stones when you go through the Jordan River, where we're walking through and we're going through a testimony. Keep your, your testimonies. And the enemy wants to keep testimonies of, ah, it didn't work out last time. Of fear. You guys, when I come up to speak, I have to work through all those emotions of like, God, are you going to speak through me? Oh, and I have to pay attention to which, which testimonies I'm listening to. The ones where I feel like the enemy's like, oh, God didn't use you. You fell on your face. It didn't work out. And then I can feed on that, right? And then that's going to narrow my focus and all my thoughts go away. And then I just kind of go into a panic mode. Or I can think about the faithfulness of God that, Lord, you do this through me every day. Every day I talk to people and amazing things that are not from me come out of my mouth. So I'm just going to trust you'll do it for a bigger group. And so I just start trusting him and where he's been faithful before, I apply it to the present. I apply it to the future. And so now when I think about the end times, I'm like, God, we're already in the end times. You're already faithful. You're already here. And so I don't know how it's going to work out, but I just trust your character because you're that same guy and you're not going to abandon me when I need you. You're going to be right there. You're going to hug me and kiss me and walk with me and hold my hand. You're going to hold the hand of the church. You're not going to leave us and just let bad things happen. So that was a lot of emotional work because I didn't know why that was happening. I had to keep taking that to the Lord and start going, oh, I had a projection that was blocking truth. And when you notice your emotions go haywire, you know you're probably having a projection. Something from your past is now creating an emotional block that now you're instead of being able to focus on the truth of what God actually says. So I'm going to, we have 1120, right? Okay. So mirror neurons are how you learn. So have you ever seen a baby imitate that there's the famous study, Bobo the doll, that they put children in a room with this big blow-up clown, and the kids walk in, and they just kind of pet it, or they talk to each other, or they just kind of stand around, or they hug the balloon, and that's their natural behavior. And then they bring the children out, and they have them watch an adult beat up Bobo the doll. And it's a a blowing up. Um, It's not real. It's a clown. Um, He's blown up. Um, But so then the kids come in, and now they imitate, right? They mimic everything they just saw. And now they show aggression, and they hit Bobo, and they do exactly what they just saw those adults do. Right? Or there's research about how they took children in a classroom. And today, and this was back like in the 70s. They're not allowed ethically to do this anymore because it's not a nice research. But they told all blue-eyed kids, you are superior, you are better. All brown-eyed kids, you are bad and you are inferior. And they told that to children all day. And by the end of that day, the kids started to believe and treat themselves like they were, if they were brown-eyed, that they were bad. And all the blue-eyed kids were kind of standing taller and acting in a certain way. And these are like little kids. Right? So they're not ethically allowed to ever do research like this again. You have review boards. But back then, I guess they just did whatever they wanted. Um, And so then they flipped it. And the next day, they said, all brown-eyed kids, you are better, you are superior, and all blue-eyed kids, you are inferior. And so then we start believing that, and we start treating ourselves that way. And so with mirror neurons, you're picking up whatever people are doing. And that's how we learn to speak the language that we speak, to have the certain walk that we have, to talk the way we talk, is all from what you're around. The reason I speak English instead of Mandarin, it's because of the people I was around. My brain has equal capacity to develop anything, but mirror neurons watch you and my brain lights up in the exact way as if I were doing the behavior. 
So that's pretty cool because if I watch you do Taekwondo, then I may not know how to do it perfectly in my muscles, but my brain just lit up as if I did. And that's a pretty cool thing because that's how we're learning. Except we're also learning a lot of not good stuff, right? Because we grew up in a fallen world. Your spirit, man, I believe, is from heaven. And I think you are, you know, with the Father, made, you know, by the Father. And you're designed to connect with heaven where it's a perfect modeling, right? But we live in a fallen world where the enemy has influence through our family, through society, through TV, media, culture, all that stuff. And so my soul has now picked up all these false imprints through my mirror neurons. And that's the part of me, again, that watches you and my brain lights up as if I'm doing it. The only reason my brain knows I'm not is my nerve endings, that my skin cells aren't lighting up. And so my brain knows I'm not doing it, you're doing it. But I learn through modeling. I watch you do it, and then I do it. And I learn how to walk. I learn how to talk. I do all of those things. Um, So they give you the ability to imitate others, enable you to learn through modeling. The more your brain lights up in a certain sequence, the more that the path becomes a superhighway, and it becomes an automatic thought and behavior. And so most of us live a lot more with thoughts and behaviors that are habits more than actually thinking through it. How many times have you been driving and you get home before you even realize it? And you're like, oh, my gosh, I wasn't even thinking about where I was going. I just automatic, right? It's I've rehearsed that so much. That's now a super highway in my brain. And that path is so rehearsed. So now think about that. If I've seen a parent look at me with disapproval, if I've seen a teacher kind of look at me like I'm inferior or not good enough, if I've seen an image of somebody thinking that I'm too big or too small or not good enough or whatever, my mirror neurons are picking all of that up at a brain level. And then my brain, whatever's imprinted, it doesn't know. It doesn't have discernment. It just takes it in, right? And so then my brain just rehearses that. And then without realizing it, I'm rehearsing, yeah, I am frumpy or I am kind of not good enough. And those just become habit way of thinking. And over time, that can now become a stronghold because my brain is like, I don't even have to think about that anymore. The most dangerous thoughts are the thoughts we don't think about. They're pervasive. It's just, I just almost take it for granted that... God just uses everybody else but not me. God comes through for everybody else but not me. I don't even have to think that thought because the emotions are already present through that stronghold. And all that stuff has been built in and the enemy knows which ones he's really trying to nail in your life and trying to create scenarios to just reinforce you believing those lies. And as long as you believe that lie of shame, of unworthy, of fear, of less than, of whatever, the more you do that, the super highway is being formed. And it's like a car that you go into the grooves of a well road, and then it's like you just kind of, it's hard to almost get out of it. And so I think I sit in church a lot where I'm like, man, all that they're saying is so good, and I want to apply that. And then Monday happens, and then my first, like, disappointing thing happens, and I'm like, ah, Lord, why can I not live in that place of victory? Because those grooves, right? And so now I have to go, okay, so this is now a stronghold. And now I have to let Jesus into that tent. And I felt like today, in particular, the Lord's saying, I want you to let me into the disappointment of each of those experiences you've gone through that you don't want to let me into. That it's those, yeah, that happened, it's over, no big deal. Or, yeah, this is just my life, I just make the best of it. But he's like, let me into the pain of that disappointment. So when you clear out that emotional dip, 
you can start now making new pathways. And of course, the enemy will try to set up another situation to confirm the old lie. Your job is to continue to believe the truth anyway. And that's where I believe the truth, even opposed to my emotion. So by no means are your emotions bad, but they're also your soul. And your soul is a soulish thing, cannot be trusted. It's a great thing, it's a blessing, it's wonderful, but it's not your spirit. And so when your emotions tell you something that's not according to God's word, then that just lets you know that there's an area of my soul that needs the Lord to love on me. And so mirror neurons work the way as, uh, as well in the positive. So if I start thinking and renewing my mind and creating in my imagination Jesus loving me, I got really nervous last night and this morning before talking. And so I just kept picturing Jesus putting his forehead here, his nose here, and him just breathing into me. You've got this. You've got this. You've done it a thousand times. And I just use my imagination when I get spooked for him to start reassuring me. And what happens is when I was nervous, I have too much cortisol, stress hormones going through my body. And remember, it narrows my focus. And I'm going, I don't have anything to say. What am I going to say? Oh, my gosh, blah, 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 blah. And so my narrow focus, and we get scared, right? I don't know what yours is. It might be, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills this month. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how I'm going to live with this man one more moment. You know, I don't know what yours are, but those narrow your vision. And it releases too much cortisol, stress hormones, overactivate, and you're not able to step back and take a larger view. And so when I started to just picture Jesus face-to-face, nose-to-nose, breathing life into me, reassuring me, I've got you, I've got you, I had you before, I have you still, I have you again. As I allow him to reassure me, I'm activating my mirror neurons. So now my neurons are going, oh, it's safe now. And then in the car, I'm saying, it's safe. We're safe. We're going to be just fine. And as I do that, now GABA, the neurochemical that makes you relax, I think of it like a grandma, GABA, grandma. So GABA starts to release. It starts to make me feel secure. And then I immediately felt like my vision, my scope, my memory of everything I was supposed to talk about kind of came back. So it can be that easy. Um, I know that each of us are going through stuff, right? In this life, you will have heartache. Stuff's going to happen. And so we need to open up our view by just spending time going, God, I love you. I thank you. You're right here. You're in my scope of vision. You're in this situation. Nothing is too big for you. You're holding my hand. As you do that, you're reassuring and you're focusing in your mind's eye on his gentleness, his smile, his reassurance. And as you do that, the emotions will follow. And now if you do it enough, you create a new superhighway. For me, I didn't think God liked me. And it wasn't something I thought about or didn't think about. I was just a Christian and I just go to church and I just, and I never emotionally thought about how much I, I just don't think he actually likes me, you know? And so I had to spend years, Jesus, you just like me. You like me. Because almost like love sounded like he had to, you know? But for me, for him to actually like me, that just radically changed something in me. But it took a really long time. And to be honest, I had to do it by faith. I had to just choose one day to believe, God, you like me. You want to be here with me. You like spending time with me. I believe that you would put your head to head and nose to nose and breath to breath. I don't have any burning bush telling me that. I don't have the physical Jesus in a tangible sense doing that. I just choose to believe that. And in Hebrews 11:6, Jesus said, you have to believe that I am and that I'm the rewarder of those who diligently seek me. 
So I have to believe that he is, and I don't physically feel him right now. But in my mind's eye, I believe he's right here, and he's breathing into me right now. And I just choose to believe that. I could also choose to believe that he's forgotten me, and I'm standing up here by myself, and I don't have any thoughts on what I'm going to say, and what are they thinking about me right now. And as I allow that, I'm flooding my mind. Neurochemicals are starting to flood all that stress hormone. My vision's going to do this, and the thoughts are going to leave. And I'm going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy of not knowing. And then everybody looking at me like, what is she doing, right? Or I just believe. I just choose to believe. You go into a job interview. You choose to believe nose to nose, breath to breath. He's right here. When you have to pay your bills and it's like, God, I don't know how we're going to do it this month. Breathing him in. Breathing him in. You're right here. I choose to believe that. And then at the neurochemical level, you start releasing GABA. As you do that, it opens up your awareness of the testimonies, of his faithfulness. It opens you up to hear him, for your spirit man to get those little tidbits from him going, hey, Shannon, check that old lighting company that you, you used for your house. And then I got a chandelier. I, I didn't the whole time up to that, because I'm like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? It's not going to work out. This is a silly idea. I shouldn't have even thought of it and brought it up. But once I come back and I'm just like, Jesus, you just love me. You just love these girls. And I just choose to trust it's going to work out. And as I do that, it's just like I kind of opened up and these ideas just kind of start popping in my head. And it wasn't a burning bush. It wasn't like signed by Jesus. But the thought obviously was Jesus because somebody really did give me a chandelier. And so I can just start trusting that. That sometimes he works very naturally and non-big fireworks. But then in the testimony, I look back and I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lord, I can't even imagine. Can you believe you did that? It's a past testimony I'm just pointing to. Um, And so as I do that, my security, my confidence, my trust is built. My mirror neurons activate. And it's easier for me now to just picture and take for granted that Jesus is twirling me. I think I'm near a mic. Um, And so as I do that, my emotions will start to settle and you'll find yourself going through stuff that's crazy and yet it working out, right? And not having to freak out because it says that Philippians 4, 9, I think that there's a peace that transcends all understanding guarding our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So when we stay in that place of peace where you like me, I don't know how it's just going to work out. I just trust you. As that happens, my emotions are calm. I'm open to his testimonies, I'm open to his voice, and I'm open to other people and any ideas they may come to instead of the doom and the gloom that the enemy wants to keep us in. As we open up our vision, we're able to walk into those testimonies. So for everything said this weekend, I hope you hear one thing. That as you focus on him loving you, your breakthrough comes in your emotions. Your head knows a lot. It really comes through your emotions. If you know that he loves you, if you believe that he knows and cares about every detail of your life, and he's going to be there just like he was before, and he puts his fingers inside of yours, and he's like, I'm right here, forehead to forehead, nose to nose, breath to breath. Your emotions will calm, and you'll get your clarity, and you'll start having ideas and start walking forward again and not stay stuck. So to honor time, I'm going to stop here to make sure that we have plenty of time to not feel rushed to get to lunch. So I'm going to pray.
Father God, I thank you that you are alive and you are breathing life. And so, God, I pray every daughter just pictures you head to head, nose to nose, forehead to forehead, lips to lips, that you're breathing life into us even now. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You'll never abandon us. That we breathe you in because you first breathed us in and created us. And you promise that you'll be with us every step. So, Lord, for each woman who's walking through a challenge, each woman who's walking through a difficulty, I thank you that you know her, that you see her. Every daughter that feels defeated, like I just can't get out of this rut. Jesus, I thank you that you pick us up. And as we are mindful of creating new pathways in our brain, and we rehearse those, that these new grooves are being formed in our brain, and it's easy to access your love. It's easy to abide in you as we allow this renewing of the mind that you really love us, you really like us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would just deposit a supernatural grace to remember your faithfulness, to remember your kindness, your gentleness, that the enemy will come like a thief to kill, steal, and destroy these seeds. But, God, I pray there would be a shield of faith that blocks him. And that with tenacity, each and every one of us would hold on to the one truth, that God is love. And it's not that I loved him, but that you loved me. And you will be with me, the pursuer of my soul. You love me. I pray that becomes a reality we live from. And I pray the pockets of disappointment get cleaned out as we, in our quiet time, bring you into those places, release those emotions, and allow appointments to satisfy and heal and restore. We just thank you for what you're doing. And we thank you for Lois and the impartation anointing and the blessing that's flowing through her. I pray you'd bind any nervousness and that she would just be the effervescent, beautiful her that she's supposed to be. And I just bless Lois to release the word and give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want imparted into us. I pray lunch would just be such a blessing. And Father, I thank you for Pastor Debbie and all the work and the coordinating and everything she does. God, I pray a double portion into her that she would feel so honored and cared for and cherished by you and we just bless her in jesus name amen